Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians again, please. Uh, This time, find the fifth chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 will be there in just a few minutes. My calendar this past Wednesday let me know it was the beginning of LGBTQ plus Pride Month. On the same day, Kay Jewelers sent me an email featuring pictures of gay couples um, with this message. When it's with the one you love, every kiss is beautiful. This Pride Month, celebrate them all with Kay. I then noticed on social media that my bank and our church's bank, Truist, had changed their social media profile picture to include a rainbow background. And they added a post that said, Happy Pride Month with this message. United in purpose and care for all, we believe in a world where everyone is affirmed, respected, and included. Because a culture where everyone can contribute their authentic selves is a stronger one. And I've noticed since that day uh, that I have seen a proliferation of these sorts of messages and images. And the intended message is clear in all of this, and it's this, if you are loving, if you are caring, 
If you are compassionate, you must not only accept this sort of lifestyle, you need to celebrate it. It is a beautiful thing. And to not accept it and not celebrate it is not only unloving, it's evil. And it means that you are wrong. You are possibly uneducated, you're certainly unloving, and perhaps even hateful and bigoted. You stand in the way of love because, as they say, love is love and it doesn't matter who is involved in that love. Now, how do we live in a culture, as believers, how do we live in a culture that celebrates, that has a whole month dedicated not only to immorality, but calling it Pride Month? How do we live as believers? And let me just say also, not only is homosexual love in all its various types, as we have now added a plus to the LGBTQ+, not only is it celebrated, we're also awash in a society that is filled with immorality involving men and women. Adultery, fornication, pornography, the like, are not only accepted, they're celebrated, uh, they're, you know, accepted generally today. Now, I bring this all up. Hear me? Well, I'm not mad. Um, it's, because, it's not because we don't love people. We certainly do. We care for people. We love people. I bring it up because Paul brings it up. You know, we're just studying through the book of Ephesians. Some people think the Bible is outdated, but we're studying through the book of Ephesians. We've been taking it passage by passage. We find ourselves at chapter 5, and we happen to land in... Pride Month for LGBTQ+. And it's interesting that Paul writes about some things in regards to sexual immorality right here. Now, you might be under the impression that when people lived in Bible days, um, everything was like Mayberry and the Andy Griffith Show. I love Mayberry. I love the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, I saw it on the other day and I watched a couple of episodes, the finest show ever. But I think sometimes we get the impression when we read the Bible that these people lived in a place that was so much different than where we live. They didn't deal with much of what we deal with. You know, they might have Otis the town drunk, but even he's not much of a problem. He locks himself up and lets himself out. And in between, you know, Aunt B might give him some fried chicken. It's not really that big a deal. But they don't live in the culture we live in that's saturated with evil and morality. And how do we live in that? But you'd be mistaken. Listen to what I read this past week. The Apostle Paul lived in a pagan age that wallowed in sexual sin. One scholar writes, the moral life of the Greco-Roman world had sunk so low that fornication had long come to be regarded as a matter of moral indifference and was indulged in without shame or scruple not only by the mass, but by the philosophers and men of distinction who in other respects led exemplary lives. They said, sadly, we live in a society that is little different. Western culture has been subjected to a sexual revolution that has transformed our society into very nearly the image of Paul's pagan Roman empire. In other words, we look at the Bible and think, oh, they had it so much better, when in reality, we're just starting to get kind of where they were. In fact, we're looking at the letter to Ephesians, that is, the believers in Ephesus. And let me just tell you, the people in Ephesus, they weren't just looking at dirty stuff on their cell phones. No, they were engaged in dirty stuff. Another author said this, the city of Ephesus 
The city of Ephesus was an immoral port city. Their civic religion centered around the worship of Diana. If you don't know who Diana was, Diana was a multi-breasted goddess of fertility. And her temple, where they worshipped, was filled with ritual uh, prostitutes where sexual indecency of every kind took place. In other words, immorality was a part of their worship. And then we look around today and say, oh, we're living in dark days, and we are. And things have gotten so bad, but the reality is the believers in the early church and Paul writing here, they were living in the same type of conditions. And so, hopefully, that information puts this letter in a better light for you. These believers lived in the midst of what we live in, a culture that is totally given over to immorality, totally given over to debauchery, totally given over to sin, and not just practicing it, but celebrating it and parading it down Main Street and doing everything they can to make it popular and accepted. So here's the question. How do we live in a culture like ours? We can't just stick our heads in the sand like an ostrich. We can't just say, you know, we're not going to talk about it. We're just going to ignore it. We have to understand how do we live in a culture like ours and shine brightly for Jesus Christ? Well, we find some of those answers in our passage today. And I think by now you should be there. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Now, remember the setting. Remember what Ephesus was like as these believers are receiving this letter from Paul. Remember what the society was like as you read these words. And these are believers here. It says in the beginning of verse 1 here, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But, now notice the contrast, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I want you to notice that phrase. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, how should we live in an immoral society, in a culture given over to immorality? Well, we should live like God. We should live like God. You say, well, that's a mighty tall order. Well, look at verse 1. 
It says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. The word imitator there means to copy the words or copy the behavior of someone else. And it's interesting because it says you're to be an imitator as dear children. That is, as children of God, we're to imitate, we're to behave, we're to respond, we're to act like our Father. We see this in human life, don't we? I don't know why this clip is stuck with me. I was watching America's Funniest Home Videos one time. In fact, I may have seen this clip more than once. And there's a clip on AFB of this little boy. And the little boy is golfing. If I remember correctly, the little boy has a play golf set and he's there and he's getting ready to swing and he swings and as he swings, after he's done swinging, he throws down the club and he says a curse word and everybody just laughs. And and it's not funny. You know why? Because he was imitating his father. And what he was imitating was not great behavior. One of the things that should make us dads, by the way, pray And really be careful in the way we live is to realize that our sons and our daughters are watching us and a lot more at times is caught than we might teach them with our lips. And we we go through life and we conduct our lives and we live our lives and then we turn around and we look at our kids and we see ourselves in them. And have you ever noticed sometimes they just have a tendency to pick up some of the worst traits that we have? Now we're delighted when they do something that we're you know, pleased with, but then we look and we say, well, there I am in miniature form. And it reminds us we've got to be careful because we have those that are imitating us. And beloved, we're to imitate our Heavenly Father. And Paul goes on to help us to know how do we do that? How do we imitate our Father? Well, let me give you two broad statements and then we'll kind of narrow down and we'll unpack each one. Very broadly here, the Scripture says, we just read it together, that we're supposed to walk in love, walk in love, and walk in light. Walk in love and walk in light. That's what the Scripture says. Let's unpack those together. First of all, walk in love. Verse 2 clearly says, walk in love. Now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. In fact, Jesus has given us the example. Are you there in verse 2? Look what it says. And walk in love. See it? Now, notice the example. As Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling aroma. Christ loved us. How did He show it? He showed it on the cross. He showed it as He died and gave Himself for us. He died on the cross. Why? Because He loves us. And we needed His atonement. We needed His forgiveness. And the only way we could be forgiven because we were dead in our trespasses and sin was for Him to come and live a sinless, perfect life as the the God-man and then take our sin upon Himself and die on the cross and be buried and then rise again victorious in victory, defeating sin, hell, death, and the grave. And so Christ shows His love to us with the cross. That is true love. Love is not just an emotion. Please hear me. I know the Hallmark movies is all about, you know, I feel. Well, that's great that you have feeling. And we ought to have feeling. We thank God for feelings. But love is not just an emotion. Love is not just a feeling. If it were, the Bible could not command us to love. You ever try to command someone to love you? Love me now. You better love me. Say, it's foolish. Well, if it's an emotion, it's foolish. But see, love is more than just an emotion. It involves the emotions, but the love that's being talked about here, the type of love that God wants us to display, the type of love that Jesus displayed, the God they love, it is a choice. And love is not self-seeking. 
Much of what passes for love today is really lust because it's self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. It is sacrificial. And that's the type of love that we're to display. We're shown the opposite of what love is in the next verses. It's a great contrast. And there are things that should not characterize us as believers, as followers, as imitators of God. Let me read it to you this time in the NLT. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. We live in a sea of immorality. We live in a sea of sinfulness all around us. It's celebrated. It's laughed at. But it should not characterize us, not our choices, not our actions, and not our talk. Instead of talking dirty and filthy, it says what? We should fill our mouths with that which is thanksgiving toward the Lord. Gratefulness. You see, people who live this kind of life, they don't have Christ as Savior and it shows. Look at verse number 5. NLT again, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. It's not that we're saved or lost by our behavior. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying if you ever fail in those areas, you're not saved and not going to heaven. That's not what he's saying either. What he's saying is our behavior, our lifestyle shows whether or not we're saved or not. And a person who lives a constant life of immorality and sin and they're not bothered, they're not convicted by it, it doesn't impact them at all, they, they, they rejoice in it, they celebrate it, they live it out to the full, it shows that their heart is still dark and that they're still lost in their sin because a believer has the Holy Spirit residing within them. And as a believer, when you sin, when you tell a lie... Number one, your conscience might bother you. That's a gift from God. But if it doesn't bother you, the Holy Spirit's going to bother you. He's going to come and say, hey, that was a lie, that was wrong, and He brings conviction in your life. Why? Because He wants you to get right about that thing and be put back in a right fellowship with God. But if you can live a lying lifestyle, an obscene lifestyle, an immoral lifestyle, you can just go about your way living dirty and filthy and full of sin and it doesn't bother you or convict you and you just live a life and you kind of rejoice and think, oh, what's the big deal? You better check your heart because you're not born again. That's what it says here. You're not. Because when we're born again, what happens? There's a change that takes place. Remember, we studied earlier, the old man is replaced by the new man. Our old nature now we have a new nature. He gets specific here. He gives us two things in particular, two commands. First of all, verse number 6, he says, don't be deceived. Look at verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on them who disobey Him. We're seeing this today even in some quote-unquote churches. Did you know there are churches today that are trying to excuse sin. There are churches today that are trying to twist Scripture and reinterpret Scripture and figure out ways to kind of meander around and basically approve and make allowance for sexual morality and the like. They won't take God's Word as it's presented. It's so important that we stay tethered to the Word, to the word of God. I remember reading years ago, I, I love lighthouses. 
I love visiting lighthouses. And I was reading a book one time about the lives of the lighthouse keepers and their families. Very interesting reading. Imagine living in a lighthouse and taking care of the lighthouse, especially in the olden days. And, and, and I remember that they would sometimes tie their young children with a rope. You say, oh, that's horrible. No, it wasn't horrible. The reason they tied a rope to their young children is they would tie a rope to the young children and tie the other end off so they didn't wander off and fall off into the sea and drown. They would literally tether them by a rope because they loved them. And that's an image of what we need to do with the Word of God. We need to be tethered to the Word of God because there are those today who are seeking to deceive us and seeking to manipulate us and get us to think that, oh, you're unloving, you're unkind, you're bigoted, you're prejudiced, you're whatever, because you will not affirm what I want to do. You will not affirm my sin. Hear me and hear me well. You can love someone but not affirm their sin. And that's what we're called to do. We're to love people just as God loves people. By the way, God loves us, but He didn't affirm our sin. Far from it. Um, It's so easy to be drowsy and and lulled into complacency. We need to wake up and stand firm and not be deceived by the messages that are coming to us. Do not be deceived. Do not be fooled by those who excuse their sin, it says. Verse number 6, New King James, Let no one deceive you with empty words. It's important to remember the next part of the verse. You know why? For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God is not just going to overlook these things. He's going to judge that sin. Not only are we supposed to be careful about being deceived, we're also uh, not to join these evil people. Don't join these evil people. Verse 7, don't participate in the things these people do. Now listen, Jesus did indeed eat with sinners. We know that. In fact, he was criticized for it. But hear me well, he ate with sinners, but he didn't sin with them. He didn't sin with them. He ate with them in order to win them. He ate with them in order to deliver them from their sin, not confirm them in their sin. And that's what we got to understand in our culture. We're in a culture where there's pressure. And so, young people, there's pressure. You know, what are your preferred pronouns? That's not up to you. God gave you your pronouns, God gave you your gender, God gave you your body. God gave you everything. He's the one that decided that. You don't have to worry about that. You just have to accept the good gift that God has given you. God was perfect in doing it as a perfect plan for your life. So don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. And don't join in with these evil people. Verse 7, don't participate in the things these, these people do. Now there's an important principle we need to remember here. And that is Jesus, He ate with sinners, but He didn't sin with them. He ate with sinners, but He didn't affirm them. He didn't say, well, just go on in your sin. No. Remember when the woman was brought to His feet and they wanted her stoned? They're like, hey, what do you say, Jesus? What did He say? He said, the one without sin cast the first stone. And He wrote, remember? We don't know what, wouldn't you love to know what He wrote? I wonder if He wrote their names. Who knows? Maybe He wrote their sin. I don't know. But one by one, they went on. Remember? The lady looks up and Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. And he forgives her, remember? But he goes and he says something else. Then he says to her, go. Remember what he said? And sin no more. See, we've been delivered from sin. 
It's not God's will and desire that we sin. And by the way, you say, well, how do we how do we do this? We love people. We share Christ with them. We're kind, we're generous, we're gracious. And by the way, I'll be the first to admit in, in the church at large over the years, I think about just in my life, we've not always handled these things correctly. We've not always been kind and gracious and generous to people. We've often mocked or looked or ridiculed. That's the wrong thing too. Because no matter what the sin is, whether it's sexual morality, homosexuality, lying, stealing, cheating, whatever it is, we are to love the people involved in that, but not affirm them in their sin, but love them and pray that they might be delivered from their sin by placing their faith in Christ. We better hurry. We're learning how to imitate our God, our Heavenly Father. And we do it, first of all, by walking in love. That includes, among other things, not being deceived, not affirming people in their sin, not joining people in their sin. But then we're told here that we're to walk in light. Walk in light. Verse 8 says it very clearly. For you were once darkness. This describes every Christian. If you're a Christian, this describes you. It describes me. For you were once darkness. But now you are light and the world walk as children of light. That's why we call the series Shine. We're to walk as children of light. Now, now, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk as children of light? Well, let's see what it looks like here. Look at verses 9 and 10. For the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Watch this, verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. In other words, living out a life like this is a life of goodness, it's a life of righteousness, it's a life of truth. It's finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You say, well, how do I find out what is acceptable to the Lord? There is a book that's been written. In fact, you might have a copy of it in your hands right now. It is the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us what is acceptable, what is pleasing, what is right. You see, we don't get to make up the rules. We don't get to decide ourselves what's right and wrong. Now, people want to, and they say there's no absolute truth. You say, well, why do people deny God? Why do people you know, deny the truth? Because once they admit that there's a God, once they admit that there's truth, they're responsible to God concerning it. And so they just deny it. Well, I don't believe in a God. I don't believe that's the, there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute truth. And all you've got to do, of course, is say, are you absolutely sure? Is that true? Right? It's a self-defeating argument. God has ordained what is true, what's acceptable in His sight. And we see here goodness and righteousness and truth doing what is good in the, the eyes of God. Then notice the contrast, beginning at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Watch this. But rather expose them. What does that mean? We'll talk about it in a moment. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed, there's that word again, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So he's talking about light shining in the darkness. And you know, when you turn on the lights, it shows what's there. You walk in some places, you turn on the light, and cockroaches, you know, it shows what's there. They're already there. But the light exposed them. Hopefully it's not the hotel you chose to stay at. 
Now, we certainly understand that we're not to enter into the deeds and the darkness that's here. We're to be careful even speaking about them. But what does it mean that we're to expose them? Chuck Swindoll helped me. Listen to what he said. To be sure, Paul didn't intend that we parade other people's sins before a self-appointed moral court. Some believers want to do that, by the way. Remember, the light we're called to reflect isn't a high-powered laser beam designed to target and incinerate wickedness wherever it's found. Rather, our light is meant to reveal what's there by way of contrast. By simply engaging in deeds of light, you and I expose the deeds of darkness. Listen to what he says. When we live honestly, we expose dishonesty. When we live with integrity, we shock the person who pads his or her expense account or wastes time at the office. We don't walk around wearing a big sandwich board that announces I'm the only honest person in the company, nor do we pass around little tracts to talk about how pious and great we are. We expose the darkness by shining the light, by living like Jesus. He concludes by saying, at times we need to speak up against evil or stand up against injustice, certainly. But that's not Paul's focus here. Just live like you ought and your light will shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. These words of Jesus lead to the most important effect of shining our light. When we do... The light that exposes, warns, and attracts becomes a means God uses to ignite His flame in the lives of others. In other words, we were taught growing up, and we don't hear this a lot, in order to reach people, you've got to be different. Because you are different. Because you're born again. Because you're saved. And because you're saved, you're supposed to live like Christ. And as you live like Christ... People are going to notice that. You're letting your light so shine. It's not that you're going in there saying, you wicked, evil sinners, look at my light! No. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's wicked in itself. It just means that day in and day out you live for Jesus. You walk in love. You walk in the light. You treat people with kindness and generosity. You, you live like Christ would live. You're honest in your dealings. You tell the truth. You're just letting your light shine. And what happens when you let the light shine is that some people are going to be attracted to the light. Other people are going to be repelled by the light. You wonder why do some people ignore you, exclude you? Because if you're seeking to live for Jesus, some people have, want nothing to do with you. But others are going to notice they're going to notice the difference in your life and they're going to be curious about the difference. And God can use the difference in your life to draw people to Himself. That's why it says, let your light so shine before men. By the way, you're reflecting His light. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we look around today and we see the culture we live in. And we're just supposed to shine brightly. And yes, there are times we're supposed to speak up. There are times we're supposed to stand up. But a lot of our life is simply living. Walking is the picture here. It's a bad picture. It's a wonderful picture. Walking, not running, not lagging back. Just walking through life. 
And as you walk, you're walking in love like Jesus. You're not deceived by all the evil messages. You're not joining in with wickedness. You're not joining in with immorality. You're just walking, shining brightly for Him. You're walking in love. You're walking in the light. And God can use your testimony. Simply put, beloved, we need to shine. We need to shine brightly for Jesus to walk in children as children of the light. I read this and we'll close. Some of you may remember that Hurricane Isabel was front page news back in September of 2003 as it rampaged through the middle Atlantic states. And it came ashore first in all its fury near our own Cape Hatteras. Uh, Cape Hatteras, of course, is one of the most famous lighthouses and, of course, a beloved landmark for us. But when the storm hit Hatteras, the only road to the outside was destroyed. Oceanfront houses were swept from their cement foundations and dropped elsewhere on the island one entire hotel was deposited like a soggy cardboard box in the middle of the street. Appliances littered the island. I mean, you, you know the picture. You've seen it. You may have even experienced yourself as the storm rages and as it rearranges and destroys. But in the midst of that, Cape Hatteras, the lighthouse on the tip of the island, remained standing. And that's a picture of what we're supposed to be, beloved. We're like a lighthouse. All around us, the storm is raging. All around us, the culture is, the storms are battling and hitting us and the wickedness swirls about us. But we stand there with the power of the Holy Spirit and we shine. 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 Not for our glory. Not so people can say, oh, look at that. Shining Christian, no. But people will say, you know what? There's something different about that person. And as God opens a door, we're able to say, as they come to us, you know, how, how is it that you can still be joyful in this? Haven't you noticed what's going on? How can you still have a smile on your face? I mean, haven't you noticed how bad things are? How can you still be joyful at a time like this. And we can tell them, listen, my joy is not based on our economy or the gas prices or the moral climate or what's going on in our country or around the world. My joy is based entirely in my Savior and Lord, the Jesus Christ. And yes, I understand what's going on. And yes, it hurts too to go to the pump. And yes, it hurts. And I am grieved and I'm broken in many ways. But my joy is secure in the Lord. And we're supposed to shine. Walk in light. Walk in love. Shining brightly for Jesus. Father, We need Your help. Lord, this is many times for us good preaching but hard living. It's so easy to get our focus on all the things around us and the wickedness and the evil and the challenges. Help us to lift our eyes from here to You. Lift our eyes and focus on You. Knowing that our joy is in Jesus. 
No matter what happens to us, we have joy and peace beyond understanding to many. Lord, would you help us to shine brightly? Would you help us to know how to respond to the sin around us? We interact with a person that is so different than us and just celebrates their sin and wants us to affirm them in it. Give us the mind of Christ. Give us eyes of compassion. Help us to be spirit-led at that moment. Help us to be kind, to be gracious, to be loving, but not affirming of evil. Lord, may our lives so exude the light of Christ that others will be drawn to You. Lord, help us in those days where others are repelled and we're left standing sometimes all alone. But we know that we're not alone. Jesus, You promise You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, help us to be salt, to be light. Help us to love You and love others. Thank You for this Word. Thank You for Your grace, Your mercy. Help us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you won't be able to say that I don't let you out early ever again, I think, after today, if it all goes well in the next minute or two. We want to sing in closing 605. You know, one of the things that um, this evil world should help us do is long for heaven more where there won't be evil and wickedness. We're going to sing about that in closing. The altar is open, but if you'd like to come, we'd invite you. But let's stand together, 605 in the suite, by and by. Mm -hmm.